0: Looking at the first twelve verses, so that's as much as we're going to cover here. There's just so much to deal with. I don't want to um, rush through this, um, but there's enough to to gravitate to really try to grasp what John is trying to say here in this third chapter. So we will be just dealing with First John chapter three, the first twelve verses. Let's bow our hearts, Father. We are just truly, truly grateful for who you are. The fact that you, Jesus, would be manifested. You were always God. And yet you would come to earth as a man. And as that man, you would live a perfect, sinless life in thought, in word, and deed. And then as that sinless man, you would go to cross, go to the cross and die, shed your blood, but, but not for your own sin, but for ours. You became that kinsman redeemer. You did the work for us. And Father, we are truly, truly grateful for who you are and how you move and what you've done. What an incredible gift that is. That in your death, you took away our sins and you gave us the righteousness of God. You implanted that seed within us. And what an amazing thing that is, Lord, to have that. Seed of righteousness, to have the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, tonight as we go through your word, teach us to live accordingly. To live according to that truth. Burn it into our hearts, burn it into our minds. Knit us to you with all things. That we would walk as those who have a new nature. We would walk as those who have been redeemed. And are found in you, Jesus. Teach us these truths. So tonight, Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here, 1 John chapter 3. It simply opens up, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should become the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, verse 2, we are... Now we are the children of God, and has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. It's a beautiful picture what we see here at the very end of First John chapter two. The last verse that we looked at was verse 29, of course, and it makes the statement, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness, and then it makes this statement, is born of him. We understand that where Jesus taught us that, you know, you needed to be born again, he shared that with Nicodemus there in John chapter 3. And as Nicodemus came to him, he says, you know, I know you're a man of God. No one can do the things that you do unless God were with them. But uniquely, Jesus doesn't thank him for the compliment. He says, listen, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You have to have this new nature. You have to have this rebirth. And what John is teaching us here at the very end of that second chapter is he says that Everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. You, you are now. You have that rebirth, and so because you are born of him, what verse one of chapter three says: "Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God." Do you understand that when a parent gives birth? That is what? That's my children. These are mine. These are my children. They're, the, they're your children. So, as God, as we are now reborn of the Spirit, we now have the spiritual birth. We now in tune with God through the Spirit. We're now born of Him because we are born of Him. What John says in verse 3 is we're children of God. And And then in, in chapter three, verse one, where he says, "You are called the children of God." And then in chapter three, verse two, he says, "Beloved, now we are children of God. Do you understand how he moves from chapter two into the first part of chapter three? Now we sometimes stall, because we say, well, we just finished chapter two, now we're going into chapter three. In the Greek, there were no chapter breaks. It just was a constant flow. So he said, you're born of him, and what an amazing thing, what manner of love, this incredible love that God has bestowed, and what that love is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, makes this declaration. It says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we see that this is love. It's not that we loved God, but God loved us. And then he would send his son. And as we learned when we were going through the first chapter, he would be that propitiation for our sins. In other words, that his work would satisfy the wrath of God. In other words, that the wrath of God would now be satisfied by the gift of the work of Jesus Christ. And what an amazing thing here that we do realize that here in chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 John, that behold what manner of love. This is the propitiation. This is the satisfaction that here he sent his son, God, who was always God, Jesus would be manifested now in the flesh and then he would become the satisfaction. His gift would now satisfy what God would require, in other words, for us to, to come near to him. And so just this beautiful thing we're in 1 John four ten: in this is love, not that we love God. He loved us. See, we didn't pursue God. God constantly pursued us. And then he sent his son to be that propitiation, to be that which satisfies the wrath of God. He now satisfies that need. His gift now brings us into that right relationship. And this is the love. And so keep in mind that when we see that we've now been born of him, we have this new nature. And with this nature, we see why we have this new nature, you and I have the new nature because God set his love on you and me. That's it. There's no other reason for it. So God sets his love upon us. So we have this new nature. And that's why here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. So in other words, we've been born of him, now we are the children of God. I want to share with you one verse um, there in John chapter 1, verse 12. It simply makes this statement, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So as you come to that point of receiving Christ, believing in his name, at that point, now you then become, you have the right to become the children of God. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And as you receive him, as you receive Christ and the work that he did, what it says is, is, you know, chapter 2, verse 29, you're born of him, you now become this child of God, Therefore, in 1 John 3, verse 1, after he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. He says, Therefore, the world does not know us. Incredible. He says, literally, the world it doesn't know us because it did not know him. As we understand here is the the world does not truly, fully understand the child of God. And and the reason they don't understand the child of God, see, they, they think that we are just people in the world. They don't realize that we actually have a class, that the class that we are in is we are literally children of God Almighty, so you think about it where if you were the child of someone who was really important, they would recognize, oh, you're the child of, you know, I mean, you think of like, like Prince Harry or something. Oh, wow, you're the child of the, 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 the prince. And so one day you may become the king. And, and so you, they elevate you. But to the world, they just think we're what? We're just people. What they don't realize is the world that does not know us, the world that does not know us as the children of God. And this is a thing that the world itself, where they don't understand the true relationship that we have with the Father, because they don't understand the relationship. They don't understand how how intimately God loves us, how intimately he watches over us, how how wonderfully he protects us and they don't understand because sometimes just the the, the grace of God and the long-suffering of God chooses not to act initially what here's a, a perfect example there in the book of Acts chapter 9 there was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus we know him as Paul the apostle he'll get a new name change when he was initially there called Saul of Tarsus, the name Saul literally has a translation, the sought-after one. He was sought after. Paul has a whole different connotation. The, the definition of Paul, the, the little translation is little. <laughs> so he went from being sought after to little. And, and I love that idea because here Saul... It says in Acts 9.1, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked the letters to, from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way. And, and understand that he, didn't, was, he wasn't pursuing children of God. Do you understand? Now he thought he was in a relationship with God, but he was pursuing those who are of the way. And uniquely, if he would have thought, oh, I'm going after the children of God, do you really think that Saul, as even in the form of righteousness that he thought he had, would have he pursued children of God? And I would say, no, he wouldn't have. You know, he wouldn't pursue children of God, but he didn't see them as the children of God. He just saw them as those who were of the way. And I think that's what the world sees us as. They see us as an offshoot. They may see us as religious. They may see us as of those who are, you know, maybe they'll call you a Bible thumper. Maybe they'll call you a Christian. But they won't see you as the child of God. And I find that interesting because as Saul didn't see them as a child of God, he saw them as simply he gave them another definition, those who were of the way. And so he was going to, he asked letters from the synagogue that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was persecuting them. And as he was going, it makes this statement in Acts 9.3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, this is incredible. See, Jesus saw the persecution of the church as something intimately affecting him. You're affecting me. This is me. This is my body that you are persecuting. And so he goes on. He says, why are you persecuting me. Now in verse 5, here's Saul's answer. Who are you, Lord? (laughs) And then the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. I want you to see that so often what happens now is this. When John is writing in this first epistle, in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, therefore the world does not know us. They don't understand the full work of the redemption of Christ. They don't understand the position that we have. They don't understand that we as people, sinners who were of the world, that we now have this new nature, that we have been born again and that we're now classified as the family of God. And when they persecute us, when they do wrong towards us, guess what God sees? (laughs) This is my kids. You're messing with my kids. And the world doesn't grasp that. So the world can simply ignore us. They can simply try to, you know, belittle us. They can do anything they want because truly the world does not know us. And the reason they don't understand the full relationship that we have with the Father is because they don't know the Father. And they don't know that God is a God who wants a loving, intimate relationship with his children. And so what do we do? Well, we draw near to our Father. I think one of the most wonderful, loving things that my children and my grandchildren do to me and to my wife is they come up and they just hug us. <laughs> That's what they do. It isn't, it isn't hey, let, let me show you this, or let me just talk to you, or let me, let me help you with the lawn, or let me help you with you know, the garbage, or let me help you with some dishes. It's not about that. It's about the hug. It's about just wrapping your arms and just staying close and just experiencing the fullness of that love. And the world does not know us. They don't know us as the children of God because they don't understand who God is, how God is a God who is in heaven. They get that part. He is a God who sent his son. Some get that part. He is the God who went to the cross to die for our sins. Some try to understand that part. But when you receive him, you're now a child. You're now born again. You now have another nature. And the world does not get that truth. And if you claim to be a Christian and you don't get that truth, then let me tell you, you need to rethink your Christianity. You need to come back to this truth. I'm a child of God. I have a new nature. I want to walk in that new nature. There's a a passage, you're familiar with it, but I want to share it with you, found in Galatians 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. I'm going to read down to verse 22. But in Galatians 5, verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. He talks about walking in the spirit. We now have this new nature in it. And he says in verse 18, after he says, walk in the spirit in verse 16, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he says in verse 18, if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And he goes and he says in verse 19, these are the works of the flesh. They're evident. And he goes through these works. And then in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is not are, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. So we understand that there are these two natures and that as a Christian, when you have this new nature, you're now born of the Spirit. And as you have this Spirit, he says, walk in the Spirit. But the world doesn't get it. The world doesn't get the relationship that we have because the world can't fathom the intimacy that we have with our Creator. They don't understand the nearness and the love that we experience. They don't understand the power of the regenerate life of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And I think part of the reason they don't understand it is because we don't live like we have it. We live like the world lives. And we make all these claims, but there isn't really the the power that is there in our life, in our lifestyle. In other words, we, we talk to talk, but so often we don't walk the walk. Do we walk the life that is regenerate? Do we walk the life that says, I'm abiding in Christ? Not that I'm, I'm holding on his hand now, and then I'm kind of going off and do my thing. I'm abiding in Christ. When you abide in Christ, think about what, what that actually means, of abiding in Christ. When you are abiding in Christ... And when you are abiding in intimacy with Christ, how much does sin come into your mind? How often does sin come into play when you're abiding in intimacy? See, do you understand? When I'm abiding in intimacy, sin does not come into play. Sin does not have a part of my life when I'm abiding in intimacy. When I'm walking away from that and I'm going and I'm leaving that intimacy and I'm leaving that place of abiding, all of a sudden what? Now sin can creep in. And this is that danger of when we no longer abide in Christ. But as we continue to abide, and we'll see this in a little bit, that What he's teaching us is that as we abide in him, that we literally, where it says in in, um, verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. So we do understand this abiding, as we'll see in just a little bit. As we are caught up in him, we are partaking of the nature. We're abiding in intimacy. And so sin isn't part of that process. But understand, the world doesn't know us. And the reason they don't know us is because they don't know the true intimacy that we experience as Christians with God. They don't understand the, the fact that we now get to experience God not as the judge of all the earth that judges sin. Now we experience God as saying, Abba, Father. As a little child coming up and saying, Daddy. And that's foreign to the world. And to be honest, it's, it's foreign to some who claim the name as Christians. But for us who are in that place, we know God. We have experienced the love of God. We've experienced the fact that our sins are now paid for. And that now we have this new regenerate nature in us, his seed and the Holy Spirit. And so he makes this statement in verse 2. He says, beloved, now we are the children of God. And to me, just put an exclamation point right there. Because at the end of verse one, it says, "What He has bestowed on us, the love of the Father has bestowed on us so we should be called the children of God." What an incredible thing for you and I to think of ourselves as children of God, not servants of God, not, not those who just have duties to do, but children. That we can just go right up to his lap and call him Abba, Father. We can call him Daddy. But beloved, now we are the children of God. We are this. God has made that happen. And he says this, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. So he recognizes this. There in verse 2, he calls us the children of God again. But it says, it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. In other words, I hate to say it. As Christians, we're not what we want to be. Now, if we were what we want to be, we could read, you know, 1 Corinthians 13... You know, from verses 4 through 8, and it would be, yeah, this is who I am. But we're not quite there. In fact, some of us are a long ways away from there. But you put in Jesus' name rather than love. You put in Jesus, it fits perfectly. You put in our name, it doesn't work so well. But I think it's important where it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. Although we don't fully have an understanding of what we're going to be because we still battle the old nature. We still have those times where we're not abiding in intimacy. We're kind of walking away. And so when that happens, what happens? Well, the old nature begins to take effect. And so we don't fully recognize it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. Now, the word says what we're going to be. Why? Why? Well, it says, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. So what are we going to be? Well, you look in the scriptures and you see who Jesus was. He loved and he served and he served and he loved. And that's what he does. And so we begin to see here with the heart of God that we will understand what we're supposed to be like, what we're going to be like when Jesus is revealed, when he's manifested. But as of right now... We don't fully understand that. I don't see, I see aspects of Christ in me, but I don't see all of Christ in me. There's just times the old nature rears its head, and so I don't fully know. And that's why John is saying, listen, now you are the child of God. You are that child. You are regenerate. You do have that place of intimacy with God. You are now abiding in Christ. You are now the children of God. And yet, it's not fully realized what we're going to be. In other words, do you as a Christian, do you have this thing called daily sanctification? In other words, I'm getting closer and closer and closer to Christ. I'm becoming more and more like him. In other words, I'm becoming more of an imitator of who he is. And so that begins to happen. And although we're not yet like him, in time we're going to be fully like him. And this is the promise that we have. There's a passage, you can jot it down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, let me just read it to you. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. All of us are gonna have a new nature. We're gonna leave this body and he's gonna make a brand new body and we're gonna have no longer the flesh and its desires in this new body. And so understand when he's revealed we're going to be like him. This we know because we're going to see him as he is. We're going to see him in his entirety. We're going to understand fully who he was. Now, the disciples got to see the Lord there in the earthly form, and then they got to see him in the resurrected body. But to be able to see him glorified in heaven is going to be something even more amazing. And we understand that in heaven, any time the lamb comes on the scene, what happens? Everybody just breaks out and worship. worthy is the lamb. How incredible is that, that if every moment of our life is declaring, worthy is the lamb. You are worthy of, of my life. And so the, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When you live in that sense, everything begins to to take place. So he says, it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. I don't see it manifested today. But we know that when he is revealed, everything that we know of him, that we're gonna be like him. So just take that, highlight that, underline it. When he's revealed, we're gonna be like him. In other words, you will be changed. That is a guarantee, that is a promise from God. And so we have this hope, we have this promise. Take that promise and make it a part of your life. And then he says this in verse three, and everyone who has this hope, the hope that we shall be like him, when we see him as he is, we shall be like him. So everyone who has this hope, what happens to this, although we're not like him right now, oh my, do I want to be like him. And this is what we are as Christians. We live a life of wanting to be like him. In order to be like him, we have to live a life of intimacy with him. And so he goes on and he says, listen, everyone who has this hope, the hope that we shall be like him at the end of verse 2, purifies himself. I go through a process of sanctifying. In other words, I go to the word and I let it wash me. I go to the Holy Spirit and I ask him to transform me. I ask him to make these words my life. I don't want them to be just something that I know. I want them to be something that I do. And I want to be something that not just simply that I do outwardly, but it's my heart's desire to do them, not for righteousness, but for an expression of gratitude. And if that becomes my life, I abide in him as an expression of gratitude. I go to the word and I let it wash me, tell me, go in this direction, repent of those directions, always walk closer to God and teach me this and fill me with your spirit. Enable me to walk that walk. When that begins to happen, Christian, what we see is this. We're purifying ourselves. And as we purify ourselves more and more and more, we begin to understand that this is not something that I do in myself. It's something that the power of the word the power of the Holy Spirit does in me. And my heart is just focused on him and focused on him and worshiping him and yielding to him always because why? I'm climbing up on his lap and I'm giving him a hug. I'm saying, Daddy. And I'm partaking of that nature. In other words, when I'm I'm hugging God, I don't see sin in God. And I don't want to bring my sin into that. When I'm looking to the purity, this is what I want. And so we see, verse 3, although, although we are not like him, we want to be like him. And I think as we become to this point, that's why it says everyone who has this hope in him, they purify themselves just as he is pure. And so keep in mind that as we're, we're doing this, we begin to see that amazing heart of God there's two passages that I do want to share with you. The, the first is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, where it makes this statement, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. Verse 9 of 1 John chapter 3 says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his, that is God's seed, remains in him, that is whoever is born of God. And he, that is whoever has been born of God, cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now it's interesting how verse 6 and 9 literally says you don't sin. You just don't sin. And and this is kind of where verse 3 comes in in this passage is what? you don't want to sin. Do you understand? You purify yourself. You're you're walking in a direction that God is well-pleased. Now, when you look at verse 3 and you look at verse 4, you see this statement. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. We begin to see, says if every everyone who has this hope purifies themselves. So there's some that is purifying themselves, and then notice what verse four says: whoever commits sin. It's almost that opposite of purifying. It's the opposite of righteousness. You have those that are purifying themselves, and you have those that are what walking in sin. So you have those that are walking towards God, and those that are walking away from God in the flesh those who are abiding and those who are not abiding, those who are experiencing intimacy and those who are not experiencing intimacy. And so he brings this great division. And it's a division that we as Christians, we understand that. Sin and intimacy do not mix. They just don't. Now, righteousness and intimacy, that mixes. Now, now, now sin and frustration sin and feeling distant from God. See, that's where it mixes. But you can't have those that are purifying themselves walking to God and those who are sinning walking away from God. Because he makes this statement, whoever sins commits lawlessness. And I think it's important to recognize that so often what happens is the, the world itself seeks to lessen what sin is. And and it, it's just true. See, we see sin. God sees sins as what? Well, he says, the soul that sins shall die. That's what God sees. And the world sees it what? Eh, it's okay. Don't worry. It's just a, a flaw. It's just a mistake. It isn't any big deal. And so often, what the world has been doing is it begins to whitewash the terms of sin. In other words, rather than saying that um, I am giving myself over to pharmacia, in other words, that I'm sinning, that I'm 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 uh, either I'm, I'm I'm a drunkard, and we say no, you're just you know you you have an addiction. really that's all that is and it used to be where they would say you know what you are an adulterer you are an adulteress and adulteress and now we say what oh you've had an affair you understand it's it's a little thing now it's an affair and God says oh no it's not you understand the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery we're we're gonna stone her this is what the law demands And I think it's interesting that the world wants to whitewash the sin, and it wants to make it something less than what it really is. And and this is what God, through John, says, whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. You have broken the commands of God, thus the soul that sins shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. And so when we see this, the world is trying to lessen it. The world is trying to say it's not as bad as God claims it is. So you can lie and you can steal and you can covet and you can do all those things and it's not that bad. And the problem is, is we as Christians have bought into that lie. Oh, it's not that bad to covet. It's not that bad to lie. So I can kind of like, Sort of fudge my taxes just a little bit. I can kind of like take away a few numbers here or take away a few numbers there, or kind of forget about this thing that came in as income, and I can do what I want to do, and it's okay because it's just a little white lie. And yet God says what? Well, in 1 John three four, He says, "Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, severity, where." the soul that sins shall die. And and then he goes on to say this, after he says, whoever commits sin, which is that opposite of purifying himself, commits lawlessness, which is the opposite of righteousness. And sin is lawlessness. He makes that statement. Don't don't think that it's lesser. Don't think that it's, it, it is where it's okay. Sin is lawlessness. And so as he makes that statement, there's a passage in Romans chapter 4. I want to read to you just a portion from it. I want to read verses 13 through 15 because it, it brings a lot of clarity to this. He says, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world, In other words, Abraham, this is Abraham speaking, the promise to Abraham that he, Abraham, would be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. In other words, that God gave to Abraham the Abrahamic covenant and all the promises that came through that, but the promise to Abraham that he would be the heir and that Christ would come was not through the law. Why? The law wasn't given yet. And so we see here, but the promise comes through the righteousness of faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. So if you can come to Christ and you can obtain the promises of God that he gave to Abraham through the law, then he says what? Then the promise of Abraham is through your seed. You understand? It's it's through me and my love for you and my promise through you. This promise of God, this covenant, was not through the law, because if it was through the law, then it was void. In other words, it wasn't just Abraham, it's anyone who does the law. And he says, in the promise made of no effect. Verse 15, for the law brings about the wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So we understand that what we're seeing here, he says, whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. You have committed a transgression against God. And the way that God looks at it is it says it brings about the wrath of God. In other words, when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin. What did he experience? The wrath of God, the wrath that was due to me and to you was now poured out upon him. And this is why we begin to see here where it says, listen, whoever commits sin and don't whitewash it, don't lessen it. You also commit lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And you know, verse five, that he was manifest to take away our sins And in him, there is no sin. Now, this is beautiful because we see here that that he, Jesus Christ, he came to the earth as a man. He was manifest and he came for one reason, to take away our sin. And and this is what we begin to see. Remember that passage we read in 1 John 4.10? And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction of the wrath of God. He was now that propitiation for our sins. And this is why we see here, we know verse five of of 1 John 3, that he was manifest to take away our sins and in him, there is no sin. So understand that you're abiding in him, you're abiding in what? In sinlessness. You're abiding in the light, you're abiding in the truth. And so we see here, He was manifest to take away our sins. We no longer have those sins. In other words, he gave to us a new nature, and he says the old nature is dead. And so as we look to this, he says, now he was manifest to take away our sins. In him there is no sin. And then in verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. So at this point, what we see is John is trying to say, if you abide in him, you do not sin. In other words, as we were saying earlier, that sin is never a part of the experience of intimately abiding in Christ. It's never a part of it. And so we see here that when you abide in him, verse 6 You do not sin. I want to read you one portion. We covered this not too long ago in 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to start reading in verses 4. And I'm going to read all the way down through verse 9. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 4 through 9. Peter makes this declaration. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. So we understand these promises. And it all comes through knowing Christ, abiding in him. But they've been given to us great and exceeding precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So you can be a partaker of this divine nature. You could be experiencing the very nature of God because he's pulled you out of the corruption that is in the world. So you're no longer part of that world system that is there in its lusts. So hes you've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, because you've escaped that corruption, he says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness and the brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, in other words, when you're not abiding in that nature that you've been given, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So you've had all your sins forgiven, and what he says is this, if these things are yours, verse 8, You will neither be barren nor unfruitful. And I love the, the part of this because we begin to see here that he makes this point. He says, if you add to these things, you will not stumble. And I think this is really the key to where we as Christians recognize that in this new nature, this is what we're a part of. And that's why in verse 10 here of of, of 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And this is what John is saying. He says, whoever abides in him doesn't sin. When you are abiding in intimacy, sin is not a part of your, your lifestyle. When you aren't abiding in intimacy, sin is a part of that lifestyle. And he says, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins, if you are are abiding in sin, you've neither seen him nor have known him. The Amplified Bible puts out verse 6 in a very unique way. Because of the present perfect tense of the verb, it talks about a continuation. And so when the Amplified Bible does, does the interpretation of whoever sins in him does not sin. The Amplified Bible says um, it in this way, does not deliberately, knowingly, habitually practice sin. So when when you're abiding in him, sin is an issue. But when you're not abiding in him, sin is an issue. And so keep in mind that as a Christian, are you going to sin? Ever. Ever. Well, keep in mind, we don't see yet what we're going to be, but we have hope that when he's there. I want to read to you two verses. Uh, The first is found in 1 John chapter 1. And the the first one that I want to read is verse 6, and then I want to read verse 10. But in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the verse." Yeah, verse 6, if we, if we lie, let me get this straight. If we say that we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if you're saying that you are, are, are walking in fellowship, you can't walk in darkness. Because you're, when you're walking in the light, verse 7, as he's in the light, we have fellowship. And the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all sin. And so we, we do see here that if you're walking in that fellowship. Now in verse 10, it says this. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. So if you say that you're, you're in fellowship with him, you can't walk in, in darkness. But if you say that you've not sinned, verse 10, we make him a liar. And in verse 8, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is in it. So you can't say, I'll never sin again. You can't say that will never be a part. But you can say that that is never going to be a direction that I continue to walk. It's going to be something I may stumble. It may be something that happens. But as I'm abiding intimately in Christ, those things are not going to be a part of me. And that's why John can say so clearly, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor has known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So what is he saying? Well, the same thing we read in verse 3. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. That's the practicing righteousness. You're purifying yourself. doesn't mean that you no longer have any work to do. Do you understand that so often Christians, well, I'll never sin. But then, then you're saying then you're not really purifying yourself. You're not really working in a direction. You have to realize that where I am now is not where I should be. I need to go closer to God. And if it's not where I should be, guess what that is? It's missing the mark. It's sin. If I'm not where he wants me to be, I want to go closer to him. But I know that, that where I am, he's not going to judge me eternally for that. He's going to say it's dealt with, it's on the cross, but now come closer to me. He's teaching me daily through sanctification, what those areas of my heart are and even though I may not even be aware of it eventually he's going to show me my heart and where my my life is not abiding in him by his word illuminating the light of that word giving me the Holy Spirit and now illuminating my mind and my own heart so I can now walk in his will and that's why I love this passage because in verse 6 and 7 whoever abides in him does not sin whoever sins is neither seen him or known him in other words, if you can sin and abide in it, then, then you don't really, you don't know him. You're not seeing him. You're not experiencing intimacy with him. So little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. So as you're walking in that direction, guess what? You have confidence to know that my what I was yesterday doesn't count against me. And this is what I love. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Righteous. As I allow him to purify me, he says, That's it. You're, 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 you're righteous, just as he is righteous. Do you understand that we have that righteousness of God as we continue to be in intimacy with him and abide? And in verse 8, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, he might destroy the works of the devil. So at this point, he now brings this opposite again. When you're righteous, verse 7, if you're practicing righteousness, you are righteous just as he, Jesus Christ, is righteous. But whoever sins, whoever is, is not practicing righteousness, but he's practicing sin, he's committing lawlessness, he's of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. In other words, when the devil sinned, he then came down and he caused Adam and Eve to sin. And what God has done through manifesting himself here on earth in the form of Jesus Christ and going to the cross, he destroyed the works of the devil. In other words, the separation of man from God. He said That's no longer going to happen. You can now have this intimacy. And then because he talks about that separation in verse 9, he talks about coming back to that intimacy. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. When you have that new nature and you're walking close, you do not sin for his seed remains in him. The righteousness of God that was given to us, the Holy Spirit that was placed in us, he cannot sin because he has been born of God. So the more I'm experiencing the power of the new nature and the promise of intimacy, sweet fellowship with God, sin isn't in the picture. And this is what John is trying to tell us. The closer you get to God, the further you are from sin. The further you walk from God, the closer you are to sin. And keep in mind that whatever direction you're turning is where your eyes see, and where your eyes see is where your heart begins to follow. So keep your eyes set on Christ. Keep your direction walking towards Christ. And then you you won't be walking in the direction of sin. You'll be constantly being purified. You'll be constantly being sanctified. And I love what he says here in 1 John 3, 9. Whoever's been born of God, he does not sin. And, and and this is what we, we talked about. Remember where we shared at the end of, of chapter 2, verse 29? If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Being born and then being that child of God in verse 1. Being the children of God there in verse 2. Once you're his children, climb upon his lap, experience the intimacy. And why? Well, you cannot sin. Who has ever been born of God does not sin For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. In this, verse 10, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So we begin to see this. John now brings another level to this intimate relationship you have with God. And the intimate relationship that you have with God is twofold. One, just drawing near to God, drawing near to God, and realizing what he's done in you. In other words, I'm going to come to you in intimacy. I'm going to come to you closely, and I'm going to stay with you in intimacy. That's what he's done with me. But here's the the, the kick. John goes on to say, remember in verse 8, he who sins is of the devil, And then he says in verse 9, who's ever been born of God does not sin. So he's saying, you got Satan, you got the children of God. But he says this in verse 10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So in other words, when when you're walking close to God, you're his. When you're no longer experiencing that intimacy with fellowship, the enemy has a way of, of just confusing you and you can't say, I'm of God. You're now, am I of God? Am I going to heaven because I'm not abiding in intimacy? But he says in verse 10, in this, the children of God and the children of devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And then he says this, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, this is that second layer that comes on here. And I want you to understand that he says, you got to understand that there's two things that will help clarify who you are as a believer. That one, you're going to see what God has done in you and what he's doing in you, because we already saw what? Verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. I am being sanctified. I'm going to be, I'm being purified. It's a daily process of coming closer to, to him. I'm seeing what he's doing in me. Here's the turnabout. Seeing what he's doing in your brother. See, the problem is, is when I walk away from God, I make excuses. When I see my brother walking away from God, I make accusations. And this is the problem. And as Christians, there needs to be this twofold work. One, recognizing what he's done in me. Lord, I know what you're doing. You're purifying me. You've made me a child. I have intimacy with you. And then what? you're purifying my brother. I may not see what you're doing in him, but if they looked at my life, they wouldn't be seeing what you're doing in me either. I barely know what you're doing in me. John is trying to tell me what you're doing in me. I don't understand it. And if I don't understand what you're doing in me, how can I understand what you're doing in my brother? And in this, it becomes manifested. So here verse 10 is key. This is where it begins to make this transition to saying not just knowing the love of God that he loved me and what he's done in me. And now I have to realize this is the love of God and what he's done in thee and what he's doing in thee. What he's done in you and what he's doing in you and as he's taking you through this point of purifying you and sanctifying you and bringing you to a point of intimacy with him that is more and more you experience that intimacy. That's what I want in my life. And the more you are there in the intimacy of God, you're not practicing sin. And if I take a glimpse at your life of those times when you're not and the flesh becomes evident, then what happens? I'm, I'm accusing you, I'm judging you. And I'm not really seeing what you're doing in them. Now, do you understand that what he says, in this the children of God and the children of to manifest, whoever does not practice righteousness is God, nor is he who does not love his brother. What does it mean to not love the brother? Well, he goes on. Look at verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Just love. Love and accept. Now, now we can accept the person. God is going to deal with their works, either accept them or not accept them. Do you follow? In other words, we simply love the sinner, you know, and God hates the sin. But we can love the sinner. We can focus on that. But in verse 11, where he says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, not that we should Love one another. He says, This is the message you heard. We should love one another. And and in this, it becomes so powerful. That as we're, 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 we're finding this message of love in us, remember in 1 John chapter 1, verse 24, it makes a statement, therefore, let that abide in you, which you also heard from the beginning. That which you heard from abides in you, then you also abide in the Son and in the Father. You're abiding in his love, and so you're just loving. I'm focusing on me and my sin, and I'm just loving you. That's all I have to do. I don't have to judge your sin. I don't have to accuse you of the sin. There's one accuser of the brethren. and That's the enemy. He accuses us before God day and night. He doesn't need any help. But then he goes from the loving one another. And now look at what happens in verse 12. Not as Cain. And this is unique. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one. In other words, who was of Satan. And he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? And then it says this, because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. What is it saying? Well, I want to actually read to you a portion of that passage. There in Genesis 4, it begins this. Beginning in verse 3, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of the fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, verse 6, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? Now, keep in mind, what does Cain do? He's comparing his gift and God's response to Abel's gift and Abel's response. And he's saying, mine isn't worth it. Yours is so much better. And what happens when we compare our ministries, when we compare our walks to one another, this is what's going to happen. You're going to see, oh God, I should have that. I should have that gift. I should be able to do this. I should, I should, I should, and they should not. And when you begin to judge, when you begin to look at a brother and you begin to say, you know, what they have, they shouldn't have. Now keep in mind, it's God who did the judging. It wasn't Abel who said, oh, look at me. Look at, he didn't do that. Do you understand that what Abel did Abel wasn't of the wicked one. Cain was of the wicked one. Cain was the one who was judging. Cain was the one who in his wanted to be superior. He was saying, I want my work to be better than your work. I'm upset that my work isn't as good as your work. And so we see here in verse 4, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Hebrew says he did it by faith. Cain does not do it by faith, but he brings the the offering. And God did not, verse 5, respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. His countenance fell. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, in other words, come back and abide in me. Come back and learn. Come back and grow. If you do well, will you not be accepted? You understand? If you turn and you come to me, do you think I'm going to push you away? I'm not going to do that. If you come to me, you will be expected. And if you do not do well, if you continue in this path, notice what the Holy Spirit speaks through Moses here in Genesis 4, verse 7. If you do not do well, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And this desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Don't give in to the lusts. Rule over it. Verse 8, now Cain talked with his brother Abel. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and he killed him. Understand judging, accusations, jealousies. Be careful that you don't look at your brother in a way that is other than how God looks at you. You need to do that. You need to love. And I think it's so important that that we as Christians, we need to get this. Because I'll tell you what, I think, to be honest with you, some of the greatest and harshest critics of sinners in the world are Christians. The ones who love them the least. I couldn't love you. I couldn't love you. But, but the Lord says what? He says, I'm, I'm not talking that, that when you disfellowship, that you disfellowship the world. you got to be in the world. But and now a Christian who claims it and they practice, they, they, those are the ones you got to back off from. But you need to be in the world. You need to be light to the world. And you need to be able to love the world and say, you know what? God, he sent his son to forgive that sin. And if they ever say, do you accept the sin? No, we don't accept the sin. I I, I have to agree with what God says, and I'm going to agree with God. But I don't need to judge you for those sins. I don't need to not love you because of those sins. I can still love you. And I I think it's important that one of the things that we see, and this is key, where verse 10 comes and he makes that statement in, in 1 John chapter 3. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. One, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. It it puts it very clear. And then he says, and nor is he who does not love love his brother. There's this two-tier understanding. You've got to know what God has done in you, and you've got to know what God is doing in your brother. And where the sin that your brother is in, is it forgiven or is it not? (laughs) It is in Christ. And I don't need to judge it. Now, if they come for counsel, yeah, I want to counsel. I want to bring them to the word. I want to bring them to the light. But so often as we're not trying to bring them into the light, we're trying to to bring them to a place of condemnation. Oh, you are so horrible. I'll tell you what, they're already condemned. We We don't need to add to that. God loved the world. And so we want to be those who can simply say, wow, I want to love my brother. I don't want to judge my brother. I don't want to say my brother's failing here, my brother's failing there. I don't want to be angry with him. I don't want to compare my ministry to their ministry. It isn't about comparisons. I love what Paul said when he looked at his ministries and, and he said, listen, when it comes to all the apostles, I'm not worthy. I am not worthy to even be the, the least of all the apostles because of the atrocities I've done. Not worthy, but nevertheless, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he goes and says, and I've done more than they all, but he says, yet it wasn't me, but it was the grace of God that was in me. So understand that if there's anything good in you, if there's anything good in me, if there's anything that's praiseworthy, it's his grace and it's his gift. And we can't take credit for it. We can just thank Him for His grace and thank Him for the gift and then give that gift back to Him in a way of living a life of gratitude. Let me use this gift to draw others back to you. But it's important to make sure that that this relationship that we have with God, one Christian, please, please, please understand what it is to you. The world doesn't know it. They don't know us. They don't understand this intimacy. And sadly, so many Christians don't either. But if you do understand the intimacy, finally grasp the intimacy that he has with you, know this. The same intimacy with you is the same intimacy that he's given to your brother, to your sister. And the same freedom that he's giving them to work out their own salvation in the fear and trembling in being drawn to the Lord and letting the Spirit do the work. Let that be our heart as Christians. Amen? Father, we are so grateful for this word. Only you would weave it in such a way that it makes just perfect poetic sense. And thank you, Lord, for speaking to us so clearly of the intimacy that we have in you and how when we are abiding in that intimacy and relishing that intimacy, we're not thinking about sinning. And so so stay there. I know your spirit is telling you, stay there. Stay in that intimacy. If you find yourself wandering, go back to that intimacy. Know that that if you come back, like he said to Cain, you come back, if you do well, won't you be accepted? You're never going to reject us, Lord. That's just who you are as we come to you in sincerity and truth, wanting intimacy with you. And then teach us what it is. To love our brother, not to judge them when they do the same things that we do. Oh my goodness, Lord, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have come to the place where there is none righteous, no, not one, and yet you've redeemed us, you've redeemed them. Help us to see you in the light of the sweet fellowship of the work of Christ. Help us to see our brothers in that light of what you've done in them and for them. And pray that they would experience the same intimacy that we do. Oh, do the work by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, and all the saints of God said, Amen.